honestly, I really, I'm not exaggerating. I thought when Jen sent this to me that this was the onion. I thought that when Jen sent this to me, this was truly the onion. I, I hope if, if, if you faint of heart, if you are, you know, having a, if, you, if you're not on a full stomach, uh, if you just can't handle certain ridiculousness, I, I implore you to sit down. Make sure you're sitting. We're not running while this is broadcasting. Uh, the Washington Post, obviously the preeminent Bernie Sanders hater, uh, they'll prop up a snail if it means hurting Bernie Sanders, has offered Elizabeth Warren quite lovely coverage, just like the New York Times has, just like CNN, MSNBC, who I declare, who I said might as well become a, a super PAC. Um, so it's amazing to me, we expect this from the Washington Post, but this story that I saw today, I thought this was the onion. I had to look twice. So Elizabeth Warren, you know, let's listen. We got to deal in reality. She is, she is growing. She is a, a competitor to Bernie Sanders. Right now, I'd say to me, Bernie's stronger competition is Joe Biden, because I think if Biden doesn't collapse before the election, uh, he is up in all the polls. I mean, that's just the facts. So I think Bernie will have a better chance pulling away voters from Biden than he will Warren, because the media keeps saying Bernie and Warren have similar voters. No, they don't. Bernie's, as I've always said, mostly making under $50,000, mostly those with only high school degrees. Uh, he has a more diverse coalition, African-Americans, Latinos. So, but Elizabeth Warren is doing well uh, in a lot of polls. She's in second now, and that's just reality. Some of the polls are very, very, are undersampling pe people that are younger. Some of the polls, the sample size overall is bad, but there's been enough polls that we need to deal in reality. She is going to be a tough competitor, but Part of why she's going to be a tough competitor is the media has showered her with just adoring coverage. I mean, Jesus, it, it, it's almost like uh, she's the only person ever who's written out a plan for something. And apparently, you know, they, they, the media treats her doing selfies at her events with supporters as reinventing the wheel of political campaigning. But apparently for the Washington Post, Elizabeth Warren taking selfies is now comparable to abolitionist hero Frederick Douglass. I'm just going to be quiet for a second and let that sink in. Uh, Frederick Douglass photos smash stereotypes. Could Elizabeth Warren's selfies do the same? Yep. That's, that's, uh, I want to make sure you see this is the Washington Post, not the Onion. Uh, comparing Elizabeth Warren taking photos off of your phone to abolitionist hero Frederick Douglass. Uh, just to make sure, I just want to make sure, would you like me to, to read any more, folks, or uh, are, you, are you already vomiting? So, and by, by the way, this makes like the, cover, the adoring coverage Barack Obama got in 2007 and 2008 look like child's play. I mean, this, you want to talk about free airtime they gave Donald Trump in 2016 and 2015, 2016? This is embarrassing. So I'm only going to read a little because I can't stomach much more. Uh, but, you know, if, if you need a history lesson, you know, Frederick Douglass, one of the leaders of the abolitionist movement, uh, 
you know, hero, uh, you know, the Civil War and beyond, fought for women's rights too, took photos that are in museums probably all over this country. Frederick Douglass, a black man campaigning for the abolition of slavery in the 1840s, appears alone in almost every photograph, staring down the camera in isolated, thoughtful splendor. Elizabeth Warren, a white woman campaigning for the presidency in 2019, features today in countless iPhone photos and Instagram feeds, her arm around voter after voter, always bearing the same wide grin. The two are separated by race, gender, and more than 100 years of history that forged an America that would probably be unrecognizable to Douglas. Still, experts say their use of photography collapses the distance. Douglas sat for scores of pictures to normalize the idea of black excellence and equality. And Warren's thousands of selfies with supporters could do the same for a female president. I'm not going to read anymore because it's my birthday and I don't want to vomit. And I'm not even attacking Elizabeth Warren. I mean, I assume she's not writing the pieces for the Washington Post. So let's put her aside for a second, even though I think she's really a phony baloney on a lot of things. But let's put that aside for a second. You know, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on the Civil War, uh, the abolition of slavery. But I do know that Frederick Douglass was a slave. I do know that Frederick Douglass had masters. And I do know that Frederick Douglass helped lead the abolitionist movement. So Elizabeth Warren, you know, talks kind of like came from a, I don't know what you would call it, lower working class family in Oklahoma. I believe she was not a slave. Correct me if I was wrong. Um, her, you know, they had some economic challenges, but like, They were free to, like, go to and from the bathroom when they wanted or the movies when they wanted or had freedom of movement and choice of how they would like to live their life. I believe that was the case for Elizabeth Warren uh, in her upbringing in Oklahoma. I wasn't there, but I'm I'm just guessing. Um, Elizabeth Warren, you know, intelligent woman, not going to take that away from her. Uh, But frankly, which I'm keeping it real, folks. We're all being naive, and her supporters are being naive. I mean, this Native American thing, whether right or wrong, is going to come back in the general election. Hillary Clinton, in large part, lost because nobody trusted her. And Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, I don't believe Frederick Douglass, like, put down he was a white guy to, like, get get, uh, a job at Harvard. You know what I'm saying? So this comparison, like Elizabeth Warren... Dare I say there was a bit of a cultural appropriation to advance herself? I'm not saying she wasn't intelligent. I'm certainly not saying she, she didn't, on the merits, wasn't smart enough or had the grades or whatever to get into uh, prestigious schools or uh, become a professor at Harvard. But I'm pretty sure Elizabeth Warren's upbringing was not as challenging as Frederick Douglass. I'm also pretty sure that call me, call me, you know, just confused. I mean, this, I, 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 let me see who wrote this for the Washington Post. Like, okay, Hannah Natanson. You know, I'm not trying to dox her, whatever. Hannah Natanson. So let me explain to Hannah and the Washington Post. The selfie 
was not invented by Elizabeth Warren. Okay? I don't know who invented the selfie, but I'm pretty sure it was not Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren's use of the selfie after her campaign events, it's good political strategy. You know, it helps, you know, solidify that connection with those voters. It's not exactly a revolutionary technique. I do know other politicians that have taken selfies with supporters and voters. Elizabeth Warren, frankly, is, she hasn't had that challenging of a life. I'm not trying to be difficult. I know that, you know, I think her father or her mother lost their job and, you know, they were on the verge of bankruptcy, things like that. You know, a lot of other people have the same story. So, like, I'm not diminishing that, you know, her family had some economic struggles, but I wouldn't even have that in the same sentence as Frederick Douglass. I mean, what is next? Are we going to start comparing her having selfies with voters to Rosa Parks? Harriet Tubman? Malcolm X? MLK? I mean... Che Guevara? Oh no, they hate, they hate him. So, honestly folks, like, I gotta tell you the truth. The corporate media has chosen their alternative to Joe Biden. And I think they're hedging their bets. Joe Biden, let's face it, I've been saying it for weeks, he's not looking wonderful, folks not looking wonderful uh as the campaign season continues i think something's wrong cognitively i've been saying it for weeks i think i'm not diagnosing him i'm not a doctor but the more people see uh somebody who's struggling cognitively the, the those poll numbers are going to start to slide folks you watch but the corporate media needed a fallback and obviously you know they tried to push kamala harris but she's just kind of like a, a, a human robot. You know, her arms flail. She kind of says things in a programmatic way, whatever the donors told her to say, whatever the consultants told her to say. There's no authenticity. There's no there there. And she's gone. She's not going to win. We know that. Pete Buttigieg, I mean, is kind of her robot twin, right? And Pete Buttigieg is like Medicare for anyone who wants it. Get the f*** out of here. So Kamala's gone. Pete's gone. Our friend Bill de Blasio dropped out today. So who really is left? I mean, I'm sorry if you're part of the Yang gang. I, I don't see Andrew Yang becoming the nominee. So, and I don't think he should become the nominee. But in fairness, I am interviewing uh, next week a UBI supporter because I had Steve Grumbine on to crap all over UBI. So now I want to give a UBI supporter a chance. So I want to be fair. So what's amazing to me, they've, they've chosen Elizabeth Warren because obviously... The corporate, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Associated Press, all of them, they would rather, they would rather put, I don't know, think of the worst person, John Bolton in the White House, than let Bernie Sanders breathe near the White House. That is how fiercely the United Corporations of America will protect their wealth. That is why. And this is why, frankly, I, I don't want to I don't want to be unfair to Elizabeth Warren because she is, frankly, running a good campaign. I think a lot of her campaign is based on bull. I think, frankly, if you kind of peel back the eye of a plan, it's somebody who 
is hem has hemmed and hawed on Medicare for all is somebody that doesn't want to say that, yeah, taxes are going to have to go up a little bit, which Bernie Sanders does say. She won't acknowledge that. She won't acknowledge it during the debate. She wouldn't say taxes will go up a little bit to fund it, but your costs overall will go down. She wouldn't say it when Stephen Colbert challenged her. She won't say it in, in inter interviews with CNN because she's not going to fight for it. And she is basically trying to be everything to everyone. Where Bernie's just straight up, yeah, like in other countries, your taxes will be a little bit more, but the cost savings from not having to pay all this for healthcare, you're overall gonna be, it's basically a tax cut because deductibles, co-pays, co-insurance, hidden bills, it's all, it's all the same. Those are taxes on you. So overall, the cost savings are gonna be way more than the tax increase. Elizabeth Warren won't even say that because she's not being genuine. I'm just gonna keep it real, folks. This is, this is beyond manufacturing consent. This is the corporate media literally as a side PR team for Elizabeth Warren. And she's loving it. Yeah, maybe some arrows will get thrown, at her, thrown her way in the next debate. But frankly, it's up to journalists at this point because I don't think Bernie's going to go after her. Uh, not right now. So it's up for journalists to clearly show those, those um, differences. If not, I fear uh, a lot of the propaganda surrounding her, that she has a plan for everything, when a lot of her plans, frankly, are borrowed from Bernie and others. Uh, this notion that she's an anti-corruption crusader when she's like, yeah, you know, when, once the calendar turns August, if I'm the nominee, give me the money, baby. Give me that fossil fuel money. Give me that big bank money. Give me that real estate money. Give me that pharmaceutical money. Give me, give me, give me that money. No. It's about integrity. You're either against the bribery and the toxic effect of money in politics, or you're not. So I want to show you uh, a, a, what I thought was a really, really amazing and heart-wrenching speech uh, by a uh, somebody, a Puerto Rican woman, who basically lost her house during Hurricane Maria. Uh, she's, I believe she was um, 13 years old, 13 years old, and she spoke so eloquently. So I want to show you that. Uh, for those of you that already saw it, because I did post it, sorry, but I want to show you this. This is the kind of journalism that needs to be done uh, out in the field all over America. Here we go. I turned around to watch a huge amount of water fall onto my bed, along with the ceiling. So in that very bed that I had just laid in seconds ago, the ceiling was already on. So to me that was traumatizing because I watched my bed get crushed. I watched where I had laid my entire life destroyed in seconds. Now, if we go if we come to today now, we rewind two years ago today. That's two years ago. Today. Um Hurricane Maria had slammed the Puerto Rico, the land of my heritage, and that is where my grandmother and my aunt still live. So, the land of my heritage was hit really hard by Hurricane Maria. And many of my families, many of my family members were displaced. And among the 4,645 souls were lost, that was people's mothers and their sisters and brothers and their fathers and their uncles and aunts, um, was a very close family friend. And you never think that you will be the person that would be hit by all these types of the disasters, right? I mean, like, you will think that it's the type of stuff that you're going to go and you're going to watch on TV. But it's traumatizing when it does happen to you. 
because you think you want it to be a dream you want it to be a nightmare in fact that you hope that you can just wake up from and you won't have to deal with that but i mean the ugly reality is that the crisis will affect everyone and those least responsible are being hit the hardest so our, our fellow people in the bahamas are really feeling the cost of hurricane dorian like this is a crisis this is here and this is now it destroyed my home it displaced me and my mom it took the life of a family friend and it devastated the land of my family the land of my heritage so this is why me and my mom have been fighting back against the fossil fuel industry and the proposed williams pipeline and this is why <laughs> and this is why me and my mom have been fighting for the government to cancel the debt of puerto rico Because we are witnessing the destruction of our planet, but we are not sitting by it. Governments are not taking bold action, but we are. And we must acknowledge the crisis, but we can't accept it. Fossil fuels, these fossil fuel corporations only care about their profit, but we fight for our future. And when we all get together or band together, we are unstoppable. That is why, <laughs> that is why even young person in the age of the crisis um i feel, i find hope and i feel powerful this was a 13 year old who uh was a survivor of hurricane maria in puerto rico which by the way i mean i don't have any intel but you know there was there, uh, reports say there was a lot more than 3,000 people that died related to that hurricane in puerto rico and uh the bahamas just got destroyed Parts of the Bahamas are like gone because of the latest hurricane, Hurricane Dorian. So this is happening and who's it affecting the most? Indigenous people, black and brown people, but it's coming for the white people too because the planet doesn't see color. And you know, climate change and climate crisis, which I've been telling my mother, if you're watching, you need to pay attention to. Uh, God bless you, love you, mom. Uh, it's a crisis, it's urgent. And it was amazing. I'm, I'm going to have more clips to air. It was amazing because all you saw in New York City, and I believe uh, I saw estimates that there were like 250,000 people striking in New York City. All you saw, all I saw predominantly was like high schoolers and young people. It's amazing because trad traditionally the youngest of the young are not into politics, but they're getting it. They're getting that this is their futures on the line. So it's amazing to see them out there because those people are the next progressive voters when they're able to register and vote and that's what we need we need the youth to join the political movement that has been on an upswing since bernie's first presidential run those are the people that are going to get rid of the mitch mcconnell's those are the people that are going to elect bernie types locally on a state level and hopefully on a presidential level so it was really amazing to see. And I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe, honestly, how hot it was. I mean, it's September 20th. Usually it's, it's not cold, but it's definitely not hot. You know, almost at October in New York City, the sun was beaming on me. It felt, I mean, I was wearing a black shirt, but it did feel close to like 90 degrees. It was hot. It's usually not that hot in New York City in late September. I want to show you another clip from this climate uh, 
strike that I covered today. Uh, it was with the leader of the Sunrise Movement, who obviously has been instrumental in raising awareness with the Green New Deal and of the climate emergency. They have uh, protested outside Nancy Pelosi's office, Chuck Schumer's office, Mitch McConnell's office. They were predominantly responsible for even getting that town hall on CNN. This movement is organized and they mean business. And this is the leader of the Sunrise Movement. So I want to say, when I first learned about the climate crisis as a kid, like I would lie awake at night, my heart pounding, when I thought about what this would mean for my people. I couldn't get the images out of my head, right? People, what people would do to each other when they didn't have food, when they didn't have water, and when they sought sanctuary and were faced with cages and guns instead. And I felt alone and small and powerless. And I know that that is the story that so many young people are feeling right now. We have grown up seeing the political establishment fail us. And for twice as long as I have been alive on this planet, we have known about the crisis. For just as long, the wealthy and the powerful have profited off of pollution, have lied to millions of people about the science, have choked our democracy with their big oil dollars and stolen our futures. Today, this generation is taking over. Our days of waiting for justice, our days of waiting for action, our days of waiting to be heard are over. Am I right? Today we are putting our feet in the streets and we are not stopping until we get it done. Today kids don't have to feel small and alone and powerless because we have a movement that is globally shaking the roots of our society that is getting millions of people involved in action. And striking is how we can stop the worst of the climate crisis and get a Green New Deal. So that's why I want to announce that for the next year and a half, Sunrise will be supporting and building the strike movement alongside our friends in Fridays for Future and Zero Hour every single day. Continue onwards till we get it done. But I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, y'all. We gotta be honest with each other. That if we want to survive, if we want to win, there are not enough of us here yet. There are three million people globally, but there are not enough. And if we want to win, we are going to need tens of millions of Americans to join us in the streets. If we are going to win, we have to bring society and our economy to a standstill and make it happen. If we are going to win, politicians are going to have to know that they will win or lose based off of where they stand on this issue. And we can do it. We've been here before as a people. In 1970, on the first Earth Day, 20 million people were in the streets. During the Civil Rights Movement, young students and young people were arrested and took action and took risks by the tens of thousands. And that's what it takes to make change in this country. So I need all of you to be with me here in this fight. So I want you to imagine striking not just for one day, but day after day, marching and demonstrating incessantly, even shutting down our cities and schools and businesses to stop business as usual unless we get 
what we want and need as a generation. Are you with me in that fight? So today is a glorious start. And tomorrow, the fight continues and I want to see you there. Thank you, everybody, and let's march. Keyword, shut it down. That's the only way you're going to make change. We could protest, we could strike, but you gotta shut down business as usual. That means shutting businesses down. That means shutting commerce down. That means shutting traffic down. Do it within, you know, don't be violent or anything like that. But it's time to make the comfortable uncomfortable. And it's time to make people who are tuned out to the climate crisis the be like, well, can't we do something to make these damn protesters go away? It's time to make this everybody's problem. And that's not just for the climate crisis. That goes for Black Lives Matter. That goes for labor. That goes for a lot of issues. We need to hit the streets and you need to be disruptive and we need to put ourselves on the line. General Motors, uh, which I went to cover uh, a couple months ago, we were there when 15,000 people were laid off. There was no national media on the ground. Status quo was on the ground. So we went to cover it. We spoke with auto workers, GM workers, all this, because General Motors, like the rest of the vulture capitalists in America who bought off the politicians, can care less if their, work, if, if their workers are literally a dead carcass as long as their limbs can still move and make the parts. They don't care. Their workers are on a balance sheet. So now General Motors is saying enough. Uh, the workers are saying enough. So we're now a week into this strike. I spoke uh, with a source of mine on the ground, uh, a UAW uh, and General Motors worker who's there. And by the way, we might go there next week if we could get everything set up with this new camera person and you know make a few more bucks in the GoFundMe, hopefully. We might go cover the strike uh, next week. Uh, before I went live, Bernie Sanders, it was announced Bernie Sanders will be striking with them on Wednesday. Uh, we'll be striking with General Motors workers in Detroit on Wednesday. So Bernie Sanders will be there. I think I saw Elizabeth Warren is also going possibly this weekend. So Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are going to stand with the workers. So. I spoke with a source of mine earlier, and he told me, and I'm not there, so I can't confirm this, but I have no reason, I mean, he's there striking. He tells me that literally police are bringing semi-trucks, they're driving semi-trucks into General Motors plants right now as the striking workers are outside with car parts and with parts to bringing it in and then delivering it to the managers who are standing in for the striking workers. And as the source told me, uh, managers are standing in for the workers uh, on the assembly line. And also there are scabs who chose, you know, blue collars workers who chose not to strike. So literally the police, and I don't know which police, I don't know if it's Flint's police, I don't know if it's Detroit's police, who knows. But literally police are like they worked for the oil company at Standing Rock literally beating the living crap and my mother's gonna yell at me for cursing beating the living out of Native Americans environmental activists young old they didn't care grenades tear gas freezing water uh, pepper spray you name it they did it at Standing Rock all in service of an oil company well now the police who by the way 
Oh, you know, you know the old school mafia. The police get kickbacks too from these corporations. The police during the first auto strike in over a decade are bringing in the parts that normally would be brought in by these striking workers to deliver to the scabs who chose not to strike and the managers standing in for the strikers. What else do you need? <laughs> My mom's saying, Jordan, please. <laughs> oh, mother. Sorry, mom. I gotta be who I am. You gave birth to me, but you have to let me flourish and be who I am. Maybe I'll have you on one day. So, if you, I have a lot of new subscribers, so you guys might have never seen this interview. But, oh, let me give you another update first. So, the United Auto Workers Union strike against GM showed no signs of a quick conclusion as its impact on other plants and workers continue to spread. GM has about 10,000 U.S. suppliers, and many have had to halt production on parts they would normally deliver to the nation's largest automaker. As the strike entered its fifth day, many are laying off workers who build those parts and other suppliers for GM. So, this is why the police are literally delivering these parts to General Motors. I mean, you can't be more corrupt than that. The police are supposed to protect people, keep the public safety, not make sure, not make sure corporate profits remain intact. I, this is some dystopian 1984 stuff we're talking about. That is not the police's business to be doing that. It is certainly not the police's business to be defending oil companies in North Dakota either. But this is the United Corporations of America Alternatively, I also call it the United States of oil. So whether it's the police, whether it's the bankers, whether it's Big Pharma, they're all in it together. They're there to protect corporate power. So I want to play this interview. I'm not going to play all of it, but for those of you who didn't see it, this is one of the striking workers. I interviewed him months ago. And this will give you a little taste of why they're striking now and what they've been dealing with, fighting General Motors, who has taken their benefits, cut their health care, cut their pension, cut their wages, basically said, here's what we'll give you, take it or drop dead. That's what corporate America and General Motors are telling these workers, which are mostly, you know, middle, in, middle income, a lot, of, a, lot of, uh, a lot of white people, but also a lot of black people uh, work in these plants. Um, then during the Flint water crisis, uh, I decided I didn't want to deal with the poisonous water and took a chance, uh, got out of town, came down here. I've uh, been at DHAM, uh, Detroit Amtramic Assembly, for about three years, and now they're closing my plant, and uh, I had to uh, transfer back to Flint to keep my job. And uh, a lot of the, lot of the, not all of the workers are getting transfer offers. It's no. only kind of like the top tier, because uh, there's different tiers of workers. Yes, absolutely. There's uh, tier one, which is what you think of as traditional workers with all the benefits and wages that come with it. Tier two, which is slightly lower. Then you have temporaries, temporary part-time workers, third-party workers that are under totally different contracts. Um, and so there's a lot of division, uh, unfortunately, right now within the General Motors workforce. And uh, they've been doing, General Motors has been leveraging a lot more part-time and temporary workers over the years while making such such heavy profit. Yeah, absolutely they have. That's uh, it's really part of a divide and conquer strategy, not only to make them uh, more money for, their, for themselves and their stockholders, but to uh, break the union. Simply put, we don't really have a democracy if the people creating the production and creating the wages and wealth are on a flat line as far as their wages and their, and their wealth, whereas the people in, in offices are, are taking, I mean, that's not a democracy, that's an oligarchy. 
we certainly don't have an economic democracy. You know, politically we have more of a Republican system, but economically we are very, very far from a democracy. And the closest thing that you can get to having uh, a voice in your workplace is through joining a union. And I, when I say a union, I don't mean just bureaucracy. I don't mean just, hey, you know, join an organization and paying money to them so someone can sit down in an office and do nothing for you. I mean, join a militant uh, working-class organization where you come together with your co-workers in a trusting way and, and, and build solidarity with them around common issues of concern. And that gives you a voice and that gives you a semblance of democracy in your workplace. And I've worked at both union and non-union facilities. And I'll tell you what, a union gives you a hell of a lot more protection. Uh, and you can't just be arbitrarily fired because a boss doesn't like you. Can you imagine if Sean was ever allowed on CNN? If people like Sean were ever quoted at length in the New York Times, this country would be an entirely different place. This country is in the midst of a decades-long information war. And the progressives are losing. But we're on the rise. But we need those voices with such clarity, intelligence, passion, knowledge of history. We need to amplify their voice. We need to hand them the microphone. And that's what status quo is about. That's what we're about. That guy is 10 times smarter than any dip pundit you will ever see on cable news. Any dip pundit you will ever see on cable news. That guy does laps around them. The continued, let's call it what it is, coordinated death sentence being perpetrated against Julian Assange. Julian Assange has been in a prison in the UK since he was illegally taken out of the Ecuadorian embassy. He had asylum there. He was illegally taken out of there. And just a few days ago, a judge ruled that even when he is set to be free, which is September 22nd, I believe, even when he's set to be free on September 22nd, they are going to keep him imprisoned, even when his, term, even when his sentence for skipping bail or whatever is up. They're going to keep him in prison until his extradition hearing at the beginning of 2020, because essentially they are saying he is a flight risk the most surveilled person in the world, maybe, could successfully flee and escape before his extradition hearing. This is barbaric. Julian Assange, I'm not saying he's perfect, he's not. Julian Assange is no different than the preeminent whistleblowers of our time. From the Pentagon Papers and Daniel Ellsberg to Edward Snowden to many other whistleblowers. The New York Times did collaboration with uh, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. Rachel Maddow and all these Russiagate lunatics now used to love Julian Assange and WikiLeaks when they were releasing terrible things that hurt the Bush administration. Used to love them. But now, since they're drinking that Kool-Aid of Russiagate and centrism and neoliberalism, well, he's a, you know, he's a, a Russian terrorist. So, Julian Assange, again, let me give you the update. WikiLeaks co-founder Julian Assange is to remain in prison, is to remain in prison when his jail term ends because of his history of absconding.
a judge has ruled. He was due to be released on September 22nd after serving his sentence for breaching bail conditions, but Westminster Magistrates Head Court Magistrates Court heard there was heard there were quote substantial grounds for believing he would abscond again, which means to disappear or flee. The Australian 48 is fighting extradition to the US over allegations of leaking government secrets. He will face a full extradition hearing next year, starting on the 25th of February, after an extradition request was signed by then Home Secretary Salid, Sahid Javid. Assange received a 50-week sentence in Bell Marsh Prison, southeast London, after being found guilty of breaching the Bail Act in April. He was arrested at the Ecuadorian Embassy, where he took refuge in 2012 to avoid extradition. District Judge Vanessa Barresta on Friday told Assange, who appeared by video link, quote, you have been produced today because your sentence of imprisonment is about to, be, about to come to an end. Quote, when that happens, your remand status changes from a serving from a serving prisoner to a person facing extradition. She said that his lawyer had declined to make an application for bail on his behalf, adding, quote, perhaps not surprisingly in light of your history of absconding in these proceedings, quote, in my view, I have substantial ground for believing if I release you, you will abscond again. This is complete bullshit. There is a better chance of Joe Biden running the New York City Marathon, then Julian Assange getting around the block in, in the UK or anywhere and fleeing his bail conditions. There is not a serious person, not only in America, but in the UK, around the world, that would believe that this man, whatever you think of him, is who is the most surveilled person probably on earth like I can't think of anyone that is being surveilled by more countries than Julian Assange so what they are doing basically this is the slow marching death sentence of Julian Assange and it's an international disgrace and it is putting not only a target on other on whistleblowers backs it's putting a target on me other independent journalists I don't know about the New York Times. I mean, they're part of the club, so I don't know if any of the New York Times people are ever going to get the Julian Assange treatment. But basically what they're doing to Julian Assange is trying to forever and ever intimidate, threaten, and scare the living bejesus. Remember, Chelsea Manning is still imprisoned second time. Actually, the third time. There was her sentence for what she did, and now she's been in solitary confinement twice since for refusing to testify against Julian Assange. They are trying to chill the next Julian Assange. They are trying to chill the next Chelsea Manning. They are trying to chill the next Edward Snowden. They are trying to stop and basically place a death sentence if you ever dare to be courageous and fight for truth of war crimes to come out. They are trying to stop you from doing that in your tracks and that is why this is a slow death sentence for Julian Assange he should be released do what you want you want to have three four five ankle monitors around him doing it during his release you want to put a GPS chip in him so you know where he is at all times fine I don't agree with it but I could live with it I mean as much as we're all fighting the urgency of climate crisis 
Where are people in the streets for Julian Assange in the UK, in America? Don't let the corporate media propagandize and make this guy a villain. He's not. He did nothing wrong. I work, I literally, right now, Jen and I are working on a story. I'm not going to get into full details. That is pretty damn big. It, in, it involves pretty serious corruption. And, and you know what? We haven't found it yet, but there's definitely documents that will prove it. And you know what I'm doing right now? I'm trying to convince potential sources to be bold, to potentially take risks, to get the truth out. I'm not asking them to break the law, but I am asking them to possibly put their jobs on the line, possibly put their good standing in the community on the line, and in some cases, possibly put their freedom on the line. That is how important this story is. Journalists like me do that all the time with sources. I mean, the New York Times and Washington Post do it for more bullshit stories, but you get the point. This is journalism. This is what journalists are supposed to do. This is what he did. Without him, the, nobody would have known the atrocities done by, you know, the patriots and the American army in Iraq and other places. And he's, he's released a lot of other things about globally other countries and the horrors they've done. And what they're trying to do is the oligarchy, the global oligarchy, is trying to keep their atrocities, keep their barbarism, keep their greed turned murder, keep their corruption, keep their war crimes secret. 